Welcome to the First Church Orlando podcast. Here you will find recordings of weekly sermons, devotions, interviews, and seminar recordings from the First United Methodist Church of Orlando. For more information about First Church Orlando, please visit our website at firstchurchorlando.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now, enjoy the podcast. Our scripture reading this morning comes from the first chapter of the book of Acts, beginning with verse 6. We will, for the entire summer, be working our way through the book of Acts. Uh, And if you would like to engage more deeply, there will be a a daily reading plan available uh, on a website that we've created called uh, summerofthespirit.com. Each day there will be opportunities to to do a a short reading as you work your way through Acts, uh, as as well as devotions written by members of our staff and congregation. We think this will be a way to engage more deeply throughout the summer along with the summer sermons. But today, Acts chapter 1, beginning with verse 6. Those who had gathered together asked Jesus, Lord, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel now? Jesus replied, it isn't for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has set by his own authority. Rather, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. After Jesus said these things, as they were watching, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going away, as they were staring toward heaven, suddenly two men in white robes stood next to them. They said, Galileans, why are you standing here looking toward heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way that you saw him go into heaven. This is the word of God for the people of God. And now, O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of each heart be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, today is Ascension Sunday. It's the Sunday before Pentecost. It's the end of the Easter season. It's Ascension Sunday. It's the day that we remember and celebrate Jesus' physical, bodily ascent into heaven after 40 days. Now, don't forget, when Jesus walked out of the tomb on Easter Sunday, He didn't go straight to heaven, no pass go, no collect $200. He hung around a while. He kept appearing from time to time to the disciples, often catching them quite off guard. But he always told them there would be a day that he would withdraw from them physically. He would always be with them in spirit, but his physical presence would leave them. And that's Ascension Sunday. Acts 1, 9 said, he was taken into a cloud while they were watching, and they could no longer see him. We don't talk about the ascension all that much. It doesn't seem to be a a point that gets a lot of attention. And yet we affirm it every Sunday that we say the Apostles' Creed. We just moments ago said, I believe he ascended into heaven 
and sitteth at the right hand of the Father Almighty. Occasionally we use the Nicene Creed that says, On the third day he arose again in accordance with the Scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. Of course, the creeds are based in the teachings of Scripture. Ephesians 1, 20-21 says, God's power was at work in Christ when God raised him from the dead and sat him at God's right side in the heavens. And so the ascension could just be one of those stories of Jesus that we tell every year and leave it at that. Or we might dig a little deeper. Is there theological significance to this event in Jesus' life and ministry? Of course there is. The theology of the ascension is based in the incarnation, that the Savior of the world came in human flesh. He lived a human life. He died a human death. And when Jesus rose from the dead, it was a physical bodily resurrection. And so in the same way, when he ascended, it was a resurrected body that ascended to heaven. Fulton Sheen once wrote, the ascension exalted into glory that same human nature that was humbled to death. In other words, when Jesus ascended, he wasn't some ghostly disappearance of some ethereal, spiritual, mystical being. This was a flesh and blood human who had conquered death and was raised to heaven to be seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Physical death that led to a physical resurrection and a physical ascension. And because of Jesus' bodily resurrection and ascension, we too can anticipate that beyond this life there will be a bodily life. We say in the creeds, we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. So I'd like you to picture this as as best you can, draw a picture in your mind. The resurrected Jesus in human bodily form was with the disciples. They were walking just as they had before his crucifixion. They were talking about spiritual things just as they had throughout his life and ministry. They, that day, had asked Jesus, is this the time that you'll restore the kingdom of Israel? To which Jesus said, that timing isn't up to you. You don't need to know. That's God's decision. But in the midst of that conversation, all of a sudden, seemingly unexpectedly, Jesus physically rose into the sky and was hidden in a cloud. And what did the disciples do? They stood staring up at the sky. Where did he go? Did you say where he went? Did he go over there? Maybe they were waiting for him to come back down. But as they're standing there looking up at the sky, scratching their bellies or something, two angels appeared saying, Galileans, why are you standing here looking toward heaven? This Jesus was taken up from you into heaven and will come in the same way that you saw him go into heaven. Did you hear the question? Why are you standing here looking toward heaven? Well, the obvious answer is that's where Jesus went. But the implication is you don't need to stand around looking at the sky. You have work to do. 
Some of you may remember the old movie uh, Animal House about the Delta Tau Chi fraternity. There's a scene where they have been kicked off campus and all the fraternity brothers are, are hanging out in the fraternity house, very discouraged and defeated. And the John Belushi character comes running in, Bluto, and he says, what are we doing standing around? What are we doing standing around? Now, John Belushi is certainly not an angelic character, nor is Bluto. But I do hear in that question, the same question posed by the angels. What are you doing standing around? Jesus told you what to do. Get on with it. Get out of here. In fact, I think maybe we don't give the ascension enough attention because this is a significant turning point in the life of the disciples. Up to this point, the disciples had been followers. They had been students, apprentices. Really, that's what the word disciple means. But now, Jesus was calling them to something more. It was for the time for them to take on the work that Jesus had begun. During the three years of his earthly ministry, Jesus had taught them. He'd shown them. He'd demonstrated all the how-tos. He'd answered every question they asked. He corrected many times when they were mistaken or misunderstood. And he promised soon, Pentecost, next Sunday, the Holy Spirit would be given and give, they would have the presence and power of God to do the work. Now, at this point in the story, was the time for them to quit following and to start leading. In fact, even the language changes in Scripture. Up to this point, they were called disciples. But from then on, they mostly were referred to as apostles. A shift from learning to leading. And their job now would be to make more disciples of Jesus. In fact, the Gospel of Matthew doesn't tell of the ascension. Instead, it gives us the Great Commission. Therefore, go, go. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. In other words, hey, what's all this standing around stuff? Go. You've got work to do. Moments just before Jesus ascended into heaven, he said to them, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Next Sunday will be Pentecost, the gift of the Spirit given, the birth of the church, the beginning of the Christian movement. They would have power to do something beyond their human ability. And specifically, Jesus said, you will be my witnesses. Witnesses, what an interesting word. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Think about the word witness for just a moment. A witness is someone who has seen or experienced or heard something. They have firsthand knowledge and they're willing to testify publicly to what they've seen and heard, to go on the record, I know what the truth is. We usually associate witnesses with courts of law, right? Someone who 
takes an oath and swears that, that they're telling the truth. They can verify that this actually happened or didn't. Biblically, oftentimes the word witness was used for, for individuals who could verify that an agreement had been made or a contract in preliterate times before people wrote out contracts and signed them, notarized them. Oftentimes agreements would be made verbally and witnesses would be there to say, I saw them shake hands on it. I saw them agree. Of course, Jesus is calling them to be witnesses about him. That they would be firsthand witnesses of his life and ministry. They would be the ones who could tell the world the truth and, and verify it truthfully. They were the ones that had witnessed his life and ministry firsthand. They were the ones that most closely saw God's power working through him. They were the ones that saw the tangible signs of the kingdom of God among us. And most importantly, they were witnesses of the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. They could be witnesses that there was unleashed on the world a new spiritual reality at work. Father Robert Barron writes, the authors of the New Testament are not trading in generalities and abstract principles. They are telling the world about a revolution, an earthquake, an emergency. Jesus is risen from the dead and therefore your whole life has to be rearranged around him. So Jesus told the disciples, you will be my witnesses. Not in just a general, vague, abstract way, but specifically, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And that's a pattern that he's given for the church through all ages. They would start in Jerusalem, where they were. Jerusalem was the home base of the Jewish people, the location of the temple. Jerusalem was where Jesus was crucified, resurrected, and ascended. Jerusalem was where they were and would be when the Holy Spirit came. In essence, start where you are. Witness to the place you're most familiar. He said, then go to Judea. Judea was the Jewish people. Go tell everybody like you. Then he said, go to Samaria. Those were people they hated. Go tell your enemies, be witnesses to them. And then ultimately to the Gentiles, the ends of the earth. Last week, Pastor Jim Harnish came and told us about Lydia, one of the very first Gentile European converts. These disciples would be firsthand, reliable witnesses to a spiritual revolution that began on Easter Sunday with implications for the future of the entire world, including us, including First Church Orlando, including this present day and age, including Orlando. The world continues to wait on the revolution of Jesus to be fulfilled. And the need for witnesses of Jesus' resurrection and ascension and his coming kingdom are needed now the task falls to us. Just as it fell to those disciples after Jesus' ascension, it has passed in each generation to every generation of disciples. Catholic activist Joan Chittister writes, 
The future depends on whether we make serious decisions about our own roles in shaping a future that fulfills God's will for the world or simply choose to suffer the decisions made by others intent on imposing their own vision of tomorrow. And so today the question still stands, church, what's all this sitting around stuff? There's work to do. There's need for witness. Get on with it. Jesus has told us what to do. And I feel like I need to make a, a bit of a, a personal confession to you this morning. And to some of you, it won't come, I think, as, as any surprise. I feel as a pastor, part of my calling is to speak out to act, even when I see forms of evil, injustice, and oppression, both within the church and in the world. It feels imperative that people of God take a stand and name wrong when we see it, and to act to change it. My confession to you is sometimes it takes me longer than I wish it did to articulate that response. Sometimes I'm so caught up in the, the feeling of the moment, the, the anger, the heartbreak, that it's hard to put it into words, to know what to do. Sometimes it just seems to take me extra long to consider what I'm going to say, to research the issue so that I'm not speaking out of hand, I'm not speaking in ignorance to anticipate the objections, to consider when and where is the best time to speak or to act. There are a number of people I know, including clergy colleagues, that are quick to post things on social media. And they may not be wrong with what they say, but it often feels emotionally driven, and I always feel a need to be more certain before I take a stand. That's been a struggle with me for a long time, but especially recently. When Russia invaded Ukraine, I was outraged and felt a need to condemn the, the actions of Russia. But if I'm honest, I'm also concerned about the billions of dollars being spent by this country to send weapons of death and destruction. I know they need our help. I, I, I don't have an alternative. I just struggle that militarism is always our first option. But before I found a, a word that I wanted to say, there were reports that our Florida state legislature was passing laws, policies, limiting what can be said in classrooms about this country's history of racism and racial discrimination, and what can be said about families and marriage and sexuality that, that don't say gay legislation. And, and before I could formulate and articulate my feelings about that, there, there was a memo that was released indicating that the U.S. Supreme Court may be striking down Roe v. Wade, which will limit or eliminate women's safe, free access to abortion before I could find words to express my thoughts about that, there was a massacre at a Buffalo, New York grocery store, racially motivated, killing 10 African-American shoppers, buying their week's groceries. 
And before I could find words to articulate my feelings about that, an 18-year-old boy, a boy, a boy, walked into Robb Elementary School in Uvalde, Texas, armed with an assault rifle that he purchased on his birthday, murdering 19 fourth graders, two teachers, wounding 17 others. And within minutes, it seemed, of the tragedy, the political lines were already being drawn again. And predictions of no change were being made by the press. I don't, I don't know where you stand on those issues. I, I don't know where you stand on me expressing my opinions about those things. You may think that a preacher should just talk about the Bible and, and get out of politics or social affairs. You may have a more conservative position or a more progressive position than I do on any one of these issues or more. Those hardly scratch the surface. But whatever the solutions may be, I think we can all agree that we live in a world that desperately needs to hear a witness, that desperately needs to hear from the church that there is a better reality available to us, that there is still a God in charge, that death actually has been defeated, that there is in the kingdom a different way of living an alternative way, a better way, a more godly way of being, a different way to settle conflicts, a different way to help the broken and protect the innocent. Can any of us, regardless of what we think the solutions might be, deny that there is a need for witnesses of Jesus Christ to stand up, to speak out, to actively demonstrate, to show the world a better way with the help of the empowerment of the Holy Spirit on our side. I don't know about you, but when it feels like we're just constantly bombarded by bad news after bad news, it's easy, I think, to lose faith. It's easy to lose hope. It's easy to become jaded and cynical and complacent. It's easy to remain silent and just go on about our daily business stick our head in the sand. It's easy if we're honest to just come to church and sing our songs and pray our prayers and hope for the best. But friends, Jesus never once called us to apathy or indifference or inaction or even silence. In the last year, I finished a book that Jim Harnish recommended to me by Jason Biasi. It's called Northern Lights, Resurrecting Church in the North of England. You may not care much about what the church in the North of England is doing, but it's an interesting book. As you're probably aware, the influence of the church in England has significantly diminished through the years. Only about 6% of Britain is actively involved in church. In fact, 2,000 churches in England will close this year. But in this book by Biasi, there are some notable, significant exceptions. There are churches in the north of England that have found new life and purpose and a new direction for their ministry. There are churches in the north of England that are making substantial impacts on individuals and communities. They found new life and vitality with the Holy Spirit. 
There is this quote in this book that struck me, and it keeps rolling around in my heart and mind. It's this. It's churches that intend to grow tend to grow. Churches that intend to grow tend to grow. But catch the last part. If a church is growing, something interesting is happening there. Isn't that a great phrase? If churches are growing, it's because something interesting is happening there. And what does he mean by something interesting? He means changed lives. He means the Holy Spirit becoming real in a person's life. Tangible expressions of the kingdom of God in that place. People and communities becoming healed and transformed. Churches that tend tend to grow, tend to grow. If a church is growing Something interesting is happening there. And so, church, what about us? Are we ready to get up and go? Are we ready to to quit staring up at the sky or scratching our bellies or gazing at our navels? Are we ready to get on our feet and get into the world as witnesses of the power of God? Are we ready? for something interesting to happen here. Let us pray. May it be so. May your Holy Spirit come upon us this summer in a new and fresh way. May we be reliable, authentic, empowered witnesses of what you do in people's lives and in the world. May we be bold in our words and our actions. And may your kingdom come as we pray on earth as it is in heaven because something interesting is happening in this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We hope you enjoyed the podcast and that you will listen again in the future. If you enjoyed today's message, we hope you'll subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform and share it with others on social media. For more information about First Church Orlando, please visit our website at firstchurchorlando.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If this podcast is a valuable resource to you, we invite you to give to this ministry by making a financial contribution at firstchurchorlando.org forward slash give. Now, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.